You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. Uh, got a great show today. We uh, will be looking uh, at deep fakes. You might have uh, read a little bit of news about that new Anthony Bourdain documentary coming out where they actually faked his voice narration for a few of the different segments. We'll be talking with Igor Bonifacic. Uh, over at Engadget, all about that. Also, Walmart, Ikea, and Amazon apparently have a dirty shipping problem. We'll uh, get into the weeds uh, about that topic. And finally, has Tesla outsmarted Canadian EV rebates? Well, we'll uh, tell you all about that as well. Uh, John, some interesting uh, tech news this week. Uh, we'll start off with the uh, the Kindles. Uh, a lot of people have these really popular ebook readers. Uh, I think Amazon really kind of pioneered that space, didn't they? Yeah, they sure did. I mean, the, one of the coolest features about it originally was the fact that you didn't even need Wi-Fi to be able to download books from the Kindle store. It actually came with a free service that worked almost worldwide. Uh, I mean, it was very slow. It was like basically 2G or 3G if you, were, if you had one of the newer ones at, at the beginning. And uh, it allowed you to just browse the store. And I mean, ebooks are very tiny files, so it doesn't take much. But um, yeah, it sounds like they're going to be retiring some of that service. So if you have uh, an older Kindle uh, in the U.S., they are going to basically shut that down. You'll lose the ability to connect to the internet on uh, its own. Uh, I think you can still do Wi-Fi, but um, their, I guess their Amazon Kindle network, uh, mobile network, is not going to work anymore. Yeah, which is you know kind of sad because I think a lot of people rely on them and I think a lot of people, I've seen some some of those older Kindles still in use, you know, at the beach and stuff like that. So, um, I mean, if you have Wi-Fi, you can still do it. Um, the other thing is, you, I think for the most part, you can also just plug your Kindle into your computer. Um, I actually don't even use that service. I use um, Calibre on my, on my Mac, and it's also available on, on PC, and it allows me to just download books from other places and then I can inject them into the Kindle. So if you do have, uh, and, and these are pretty old now, if you've got um, one of the first or second generation Kindles or the Kindle DX uh, second gen- generation, you'll no longer be able to connect to the internet. Moving on, uh, you know, we we're going to be talking about uh, deep faking voices, uh, you know, with our Anthony Bourdain segment coming up. Uh, but this was interesting. You know, if you've uh, been a Star Wars fan, you'll notice that they've actually recreated some of uh, their older characters, including uh, Carrie Fisher uh, in Rogue Squadron. Uh, A younger Princess Leia version of herself was completely computer-generated. And uh, also the latest uh, Mandalorian, Luke Skywalker, and specifically young Luke Skywalker, uh, came back uh, in one of the episodes. And it, uh, it looked pretty real, John. What did you think? Yeah, I thought so too. I mean, it's, you can always tell there's something called Uncanny Valley when it doesn't look real. It looks just a little like they're dead on the inside. Dead, dead on the inside. Yeah. Well, there's a, a guy out there that uh, actually uh, took those, uh, those clips uh, from The Mandalorian and improved them. Yeah, this is a really cool story because this guy, on his own, went in, and did it better than Lucasfilm, <clears throat> better than Lucasfilm, which that's pretty hard to beat. You know, like <laughs> if anyone's going to get it right, it'll be them. And he did it on his own on YouTube and Lucasfilm hired him. Did, did you see his clips? I think the, the user's name was uh, Shamook. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he fixed uh, the the um the Luke's cameo in The Mandalorian. His video had almost 2 million views. And he also did some improvements on uh Rogue One's um uh General Moff Tarkin and some of the videos are really cool because they're like side by side. So you can see the original, then you can see his improvement. And, you know, a lot of times it's like lighting and things like that, but it just adds that little bit more dimension to it that I think if you were to show someone this and you didn't tell them the source, you might buy it more so than the Lucasfilm version. Yeah. I'm just looking at uh, the, the, the one he improved from rogue squadron, uh, uh, the general there and the, uh, the Lucasfilm version. I mean, it's it's good, but I, I can kind of tell it's like computer generated. Uh, the yeah. one that uh, this uh, Schmook uh, fellow did, uh, it actually kind of borders on real now. Yeah, just just looking at the still frame that I have in front of me here, the Lucasfilm one, it's it's a little too matte, if that makes yeah. sense. Whereas his version. It just has a little bit more detail, a little bit more reflection on the skin, a little bit more like the skin looks like it's alive as opposed to being like a cartoon. Yeah. And um, it just has that, that tonal quality that you look for when you're like taking like, for the photography, natural lighting, right? And having things reflect light a certain way. And again, if anyone's going to get it right, it'll be Lucasfilm because they'll throw the money at it um, and they have the the skilled artists to do that but it's it's quite striking the dis- the difference between the two things and it might have just come down to budget time like we also don't know how long this guy took to do this like he could have been whiling away at it for like a year in his yeah. you know basement or something like that yeah, exactly so. well we're we're gonna have to take a break right now when we come back uh, we're actually gonna talk a little bit more about uh, faking people uh, with the new Anthony Bourdain documentary and how they faked his voice for some of the segments. Back after this with Get Connected. You are back with the program. Mike and John here. Uh, Interesting news story over the past week, John, that I wanted to explore a bit because technology has uh, brought the dead back to life, so to speak. There is a upcoming documentary on Anthony Bourdain, beloved traveler and cook, explorer. Uh, He had a great show on uh, CNN. Well, they're making a documentary about his life and times called Roadrunner, and uh, some controversies bubbled up from it. Uh, apparently, the the filmmaker wanted a couple lines that Anthony never spoke. I think they were in an email, but uh, he used uh, some AI, artificial intelligence, to recreate his voice. Kind of creepy. Yeah, it's it's one of the things like, did he have permission from the family? Well, let's explore it a bit more. We've got uh, our good friend Igor Bonifacic uh, from Engadget on the line. Thanks for joining us, Igor. Uh, thanks for having me. You wrote an article about this, uh, which spurred me to uh, look into this uh, further. Uh, how easy or difficult was it for the filmmaker to actually make this happen? Uh, so the way uh, Morgan Neville, the uh, director of the movie, describes it is that he kind of first reached out to several companies to like ask them if this was possible and. Among four, he picked the best one, and then he provided them with dozens of hours of um, kind of voice samples of Bourdain's voice, and they went from there to kind of create or recreate uh, this email um, that was sent to one of his friends, 
And then a big part of the process, he said, was like deciding which of Bourdain's voices did they want to use, right? Because a big part of this kind of persona and narration evolved as, you know, he did, you know, as he aged and as he did new shows. Um, and that was a big part of the process was deciding where to fall on that. It's an interesting time. You know, we we're reading a lot and, and seeing some of these like deep fakes, they're called uh, deep fake, deep fake videos. Uh, you know, they're able to use software to recreate people doing and, and saying things that uh, they didn't say. Uh, is this a disturbing trend, Igor? I'd say so. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's hard to say, right? Like in this situation, um, you know, the director claims he wanted to make quote unquote, Tony's words come alive. But when you think about it, right. Um, if I suppose if you like, if you go into the movie and you don't know where like these three quotes are coming from and the part of the problem is they're not really like, as far as I know, I haven't, I should point out, I haven't seen, had a chance to see the movie yet. So as far as I know, they're not disclosed as something like maybe you see it in the credits, this like uh, AI company is credited, but like, you know, who sticks around to see that? And um, so it's something that you, you might not know that he never like recorded these things and that these are not how he would have necessarily said them, right? We never know because uh, at the end of the day, Anthony Bourdain is not with us anymore, right? And so... Um, in a way, I find that makes what he said less alive, right? Um, and you have to wonder, it's like, especially when it comes in context of a documentary, like, you know, we, yes, the documentary is still like, there is so much interpretation that is done, but it kind of makes the format feel less authentic if you can just make something up like this, right? Yeah, I, I think the thing that I'm troubled with is the fact that it, it, it's one thing if it was said and maybe it was poor audio quality, so at least you would have some kind of basis for the context, the cadence, all those types of things that generally get lost in translation when you're reading an email. And mm-hmm. especially with someone as dynamic as, as Anthony was, um, it's just weird. I guess there's kind of two things I'm looking at it. Uh, you know, one is that this is going to happen. You know, I, I think we're going to see in the future that movies will be made uh, with actors that are no longer here, uh, you know, because the technology will be able to recreate them. We've already seen it with Star Wars. Uh, They've recreated, uh, you know, Carrie Fisher uh, in Rogue Squadron. Uh, They've done it uh, with the Mandalorian with one of the characters, Luke Skywalker. Hopefully I'm not spoiling that for (laughs) for anyone. Um, And, you know, it's not perfect, but you can see like in five, ten years, it could get pretty good. Uh, so in one aspect, I think it's going to be here. There's going to have to be some sort of whole other rights issues with uh, actors' likenesses and voices. But then there's the second part for me. This is a documentary, and I feel a documentary has to adhere more to the the truth and realism line. The actual breadcrumbs that are in the world from him that he spoke, he said, he, he walked the talk, all that type of stuff, yeah. And when you're sort of taking some creative license. But I guess the argument would be he did write these words down in an email, so they are his his words. Um, how do you feel about it, Igor? Like, do you care? Is this a big concern for you? Well, so, I mean, so one of the things is uh, his widow, uh, Octavia Bourdain, said she never, like, 
kind of acquiesce to this, right? Um, and then the other thing is, um, so the one context we know in which it was like definitely used where they kind of like someone kind of honed in on it was um, there's a segment in the film where one of his friends is e- reading an email that was sent to him. And at first it's his friend reading, but and then it will transition to this AI voice. Re- like we'll take over and read it. Right. And that just feels like so hokey to me, right? Like what is wrong with just having his like friend interpret it. Right. And his friend kind of tried to match like the cadence and tone and like, uh, just like to see his reaction to um, the, like to hear the pain in his words. Right. Um, so it just kind of, it strikes me as like, yes, it's a tool, but like, you know, it's like anything, I think these tools should be used very sparingly, if at all, in some instances. And it's I, like, I don't see what it necessarily adds to the, to the film. And I think that's the key point is like you said, his friend could have just read the email and read it how he interpreted it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we wouldn't be even talking about this. And herein lies why I think he did it. <laughs> I'd like to think it's for like these creative, uh, you know, higher level purposes, but it's, that's a business decision. Like how much yeah. PR did he get out of this? Like we're talking about it. Yeah. But do you need PR for Bourdain? I mean, he's pretty high up there. And I think this, this documentary AI aside would have, done gangbusters anyways i think it'll do even more now i don't know do you think so i think so yeah because i think more people will be aware of it you know like trump says there's no such thing as bad pr right mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know if he said that but i think that's his whole mantra um but I, there's so many more people that are aware of this um uh, this documentary now that i i don't think might have uh it might not have been on their radar even though they might have been anthony bourdain fans it it just, I think, has really bubbled up and given millions of more impressions to uh, to it, it coming out. But, you know, it, it just opens up that Pandora's box, right? Like, where where do we go next with this? Uh, you know, will they be able to recreate Morgan Freeman's voice, you know, when Morgan Freeman passes? Like, you know, yeah. those iconic voices that yeah. are used in commercials and film narrations and, and things like that. And I think that's the way we're going. But I also wonder, too, how much would it have cost to just get an Anthony Bourdain impersonator to just say the words, right? <laughs> At least you could be like, this is an art, an actor recreation as opposed to having all this weird AI stuff that sounds uncanny valley creepy, Yeah. right? So, And we're already seeing that with some even music performers. They're making holograms of dead celebrities that are performing live on stage. I'm like... I think Celine Dion did that with Elvis. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I, I, no one asked for that. No. I wonder if anyone will recreate my voice when I die <laughs> under mysterious circumstances. <laughs> Pro- probably not. Um, but, you know, definitely, it, it's, I think it's opened our eyes uh, quite a bit. And, and I wonder, you know, how will we, I don't know, it's the word protect ourselves or, <laughs> you know, what kind of rules we need to come up with. Any thoughts, Igor? Yeah, I mean, I think... It, it's it's really hard to say, right? Like in the instance of Bourdain, right? Like it it kind of highlights the tragedy of everything that happened, right? Like, um, you know, this is a man who really didn't get a choice in this, right? Um, and um, in a way, he's never going to have peace as a result, right? Because it's like you can keep just recreating um, his voice and just like in as in this instance, like. 
um, just not disclose that it's a piece of software recreating it, right? Um, and as for how that goes forward, like I, I wish I had a better answer, but I don't, right? Like I think, uh, as you said, we've kind of opened a Pandora's box and it's hard to know where um, it stops. I will know like there are instances where I've seen this like kind of used more, um, let's say like judiciously. Um, uh, there was this, um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but there was a, a charity in Toronto that they did. Um, they recreated songs as if they were like, they used AI to create a new song by a band that remember, for whatever reason is not that, making. Yeah. yeah. So for instance, they made like a new Nirvana song. Right. But in that instance, they didn't use AI to recreate the voice of this, like Kurt Cobain. They got, uh, like an impersonator to do it. Right. Because they thought that was like crossing the line. Right. Um, and that would have just made the whole effort feel, I guess, even like would have made it feel cheap. Um, so I think it, unfortunately like it's gonna like i don't know how you regulate it especially in these kind of like creative uh efforts and so i think that will largely come down to you know a case-by-case basis we're talking about uh anthony bourdain and the new documentary using ai to fill in some of the voice narration gaps they've recreated his voice you can read more about it uh check out and gadget uh igor bonifacic is one of their journalist there and he writes a lot of uh, great articles uh, and blogs and he's written about this uh, topic as well thanks for joining us igor uh, thanks for having me when we come back more tech to talk stay tuned you are back with get connected uh, mike agarbo here with john beeler don't forget we've got a great contest uh, going uh, this month we're giving away an msi laptop a uh, summit uh, e13 evo flip this thing is an amazing two thousand dollar laptop with a touch screen it folds it's got a pen for writing uh, on the screen as well and john there's a chance to win extra entries yeah this is actually a really easy way to get 10 bonus entries this week um we're kind of letting the listeners or viewers uh help us decide on how we promote our youtube videos uh steven our Contest Guy has uh, a new entry option when you go into the contest page at getconnectedmedia.com. And there is a, uh, a couple image styles for our YouTube thumbnails, and we want you to pick which one you like best. That's all you have to do. Again, hit our website, getconnectedmedia.com. Well, the world is changing when it comes to uh, purchasing uh, our goods uh, I think we've seen the rise of uh, some large e commerce giants like the Amazons of the world. Uh, but what kind of environmental impact does that have on the planet? And John, uh, there's a new study out that uh, is basically showing that uh, it's not necessarily a good thing. Yeah, it's it's really interesting when you start looking at sort of the volume of like shipping containers that all the major manufacturers use. And this is where all our tech comes from, right? It's coming overseas uh, on the ocean, on the back of a big giant boat and this research paper actually mapped out who the worst offenders were and you know this is a tech show so we're going to focus on the companies that sell tech but there's a lot of non-tech people or companies in there um it's it's a really interesting list it looks like walmart's like at the top of the list 
I, I could see that they're obviously one of the you know giant retailers uh, in in the world. Uh, this yeah. study, and it's a good article up on uh, theverge.com if you want to find out a little bit more about this. Uh, but there was a study done in 2019, and uh, the 15 top uh, I guess uh, companies in the report generated almost as much climate pollution as uh, one and a half million American homes do in a year. So we're looking at Walmart was at the top of that list. Uh, I guess Ashley Furniture. I, I didn't know they shipped that much. Uh, but obviously yeah. tar- Target is up there. Dole. I think that's the pineapple people. Yeah. Uh, and also we've got, uh, you know, companies like Home Depot, Ikea, and of course, Amazon uh, as well. Yeah. And then like Samsung, LG, Red Bull. <laughs> Is Red even Bull? on the list? Yeah. Like, why? Is, is there, are, there, are they moving that much energy drinks? Like, it's kind of crazy. Um, uh, so the um, there's, uh, you know, some nonprofit groups, uh, environmental groups, uh, the Pacific Environment and, and Stand.Earth uh, basically uh, had to uh, work with uh, some uh, folks um, and try to extract this data. Uh, you know, obviously, it's not widely available as you know to who's shipping how much and how that relates to maritime uh, pol- pollution. But uh, they've done a, an admirable job of trying to piece it all together. Yeah, it sounds like they they basically were only able to get about twenty percent of the uh, of the of the data because, like you said, it just it's not available or it's not as transparently as it would like it to be especially because like shipping containers can contain products from like hundreds of different suppliers um so it's hard to correlate all that by looking at shipping manifests and all the paperwork that goes with every single parcel or package or shipping container that's on that boat and they were able to take 20 percent of all the shipping data this is like all the boats in the world for a year to figure out and then extrapolate up from there the volumes so which is i think apparently it's it's a fairly good data set for them to use um it also doesn't take into account though the ship's return journeys after unloading their cargo because generally they're not bringing back a full load when they're coming back from north america say because uh, we're not shipping that much to china or overseas no, good point. Uh, some other interesting data here. Walmart tops the list, uh, apparently, um, by generating more greenhouse gas emissions uh, than a coal-fired power plant would in a year. And again, we're talking about uh, maritime uh, emissions, uh, you know, when these big giants are, are shipping uh, goods, uh, you know, through the uh, the world's uh, oceans and, and shipping lanes. But it's uh, it's an interesting list. You know, obviously, you know, a lot of these big companies are are trying to improve, uh, you know, their overall, um, you know, greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, you know, some of them like Amazon uh, are, you know, trying to become uh, less with that. You know, they have electric vehicles uh, that they're using for delivery. Uh, they want to be... Uh, more sustainable, basically, uh, you know, by 2040, I think IKEA said that they want to draw down more greenhouse gases than it emits by 2030. So, uh, you know, a lot of these companies are are, are trying, but, uh, you know, obviously, faster is better, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's interesting, too, because like, we've seen a lot of a lot of the companies, uh, you know, like in the smartphone space, they're not including chargers anymore, and very minimalist packaging, whereas you remember, like the early days of the iPhone and stuff like that, like the unboxing experience was like you just got a like like a Louis Vuitton bag or something like that. Like it was, <laughs> it was quite over the top with extras and and fancy paper and glossy uh, cards and all that kind of stuff. And now it's just like here's your phone. 
Well, you know, the packaging is a big deal for a lot of uh, these products, you know, especially in the tech space. You know, when you look into retail stores, I think, uh, you know, Costco would be a culprit I'd have to look at. You know, yeah. y- you go in there and you want to buy, you know, a pair of AirPods and the packaging is like 18 times the size of it because obviously yeah. they want to stand out in the store. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just basically like a just a facade box for what the actual product is, or it's 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 oversized intentionally so that uh, to to sort of prevent theft. Uh, you can't just easily pocket it. You know, like a like an AirPods are easily pocketable. That's sort of the selling point. But the box itself is very small versus the giant box they put up, put them in on some retail stores. We're going to have to take another break here and get connected. Uh, as we mentioned before, don't forget to hit our contest page, getconnectedmedia.com, giving away an MSI Summit E13 Evo Flip laptop worth over $2,000 and extra chances to win today. All you have to do is go to the page and uh, you will find out more about it. When we come back, we're going to talk about EV rebates and uh, how Tesla might have uh, kind of did a little shimmy around them in the Canadian market. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. Don't forget to hit our contest page, getconnectedmedia.com, giving away an MSI Summit E-Series Evo Flip laptop. Evo, I'm not even getting that right. It's a mouthful. The MSI Summit uh, uh, E13 Evo Flip laptop, worth over $2,000. All the details are up on the website, getconnectedmedia.com. John, let's talk about EV rebates. Uh, We have both uh, purchased electric vehicles over the past couple of years. A big deciding factor for me, and I'm sure it was for you as well, because these things are expensive, were the rebates that were available. Back when I bought my Tesla Model 3, there was actually about $10,000 that I got off, you know, $5,000 from the BC government and $5,000 from the federal government here in British Columbia. That's dropped uh, since then. Uh, the BC government's only giving out $3,000. Canadian government's still giving out five. But it's uh, interesting how Tesla actually got my particular model into the whole EV uh, rebate uh, system in Canada. Yeah, this is, uh, apparently Tesla's not the only one that's done this, but what they do is to qualify to be one of the vehicles that gets the rebate, there needs to be, um, the, the it, basically it has to be somewhere in the pricing tier. So the base model of the Model 3, for example, in your case, has to be under $45,000. Um, and under $55,000 for the higher trims. So basically you have a $10,000 sort of window that your vehicles have to fall into. But what Tesla has done is they did the math. And when you factor in things like the rebate, you take away the little fees that are sort of added on when you buy a car, like the air conditioning fee, the there's a fee paid to the uh, motor vehicle industry council and there's a destination fee that i guess it's like the shipping fee to get it to your dealer that type of thing they were actually they came in the model three uh basically the short range version or sorry standard range version uh was four thousand forty four thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars one dollar below the cutoff basically so that they would be under that range but at the same time they also within qualify the longer range models at 52 or 53,000 and um, and up. So basically they they just priced it specifically like a dollar below the window so that they would get in and so then the higher end model was at the top end of the spectrum um, and it 
all the, the tiers in between all qualify. The only problem is, like if you wanted to get a Model 3, that's the standard range, um, which is basically a 150-kilometer range, 151-kilometer range. That's not a lot. Uh, and there's, no, that's actually you know a fairly small range vehicle. Like my car is, I have the lower tier Kia Soul EV, and I get 300 kilometers. All it's rated for 250. Um, and you know the next tier up is another ten thousand dollars to to go up to like 500 kilometers. So the problem is, is that you can't actually buy, or it's very difficult to find a Model Three standard range because they didn't make a lot of them. <laughs> Ironically, they only sold. 151 units between uh, May 2019 and April 2021. They, only, they sold 151 of the 151 kilometer Model 3 standard range vehicles. So not a lot because most people didn't want that short of a range. If you're going to get a Tesla, you're going to get the, the longer, the standard range plus, which is I think what you have. Yeah. Um, and uh, from the, the numbers you um you're talking about here, Don, uh, John, uh, the standard range plus they sold almost 23,000 units compared to yeah. the 151 units of the, the lower yeah. model, which uh, is outstanding. Yeah. So it's interesting because Tesla did it by the range. Um, recently, my fiance was also, she was shopping for an electric vehicle and we went to Kia and she found the, the Nero EV uh, sort of was up her alley. And, the problem is the base model was the very attractive price point at you know at the forty five price point forty five thousand dollar price point, uh, so it got all the rebates. But the specific model only came in black, like there was no other color options at that <laughs> that base price, and the dealer said basically it's unobtainium because they didn't make a lot. It was basically priced that way and spec'd that way to get the whole narrow line into the rebate system. She would actually would have had to pay $54,000 to get the same vehicle in the color she wanted. And she'd basically buying a bunch of extras she didn't even want. Like she would have been fine with the base model. So it's kind of a weird system. And like one of the things we were talking about off air was the fact that like, why don't you just reward any EV owner with this rebate? Why all these weird hoops and stuff like that? Because you're still ultimately saving the environment if you're buying a Tesla that's been fully spec'd out, you know, like you buy like a, like a model Y or a model X or whatever, you're getting close to like a hundred thousand dollars for that kind of stuff. $5,000 rebate is not going to make much of a difference to their bottom line. Um, but for someone like me, when I was buying my Kia, my Kia, the rebates combined with the scrap it program that we've talked about before, where I got to trade in my old car for a very attractive trade in value. Um, brought the price of the EV almost down to what the gas version of it cost. But when you're in the higher tiers, it's, it's almost a moot point. You're barely, you're not even covering your taxes. Yeah. I think the point though, um, that the government, you know, has said is that they don't want to be subsidizing rich people to buy EVs because they can already afford it. So they would rather, you know, save that money yeah. and put it towards these lower cost models and still when I say lower costs, you know, 50,000, you know, that's still a lot of money. Uh, but it, it is. Yeah. Yeah. They're trying to get, um, you know, kind of more of the mass market to, to get these, these cars. And again, because, you know, when you, you can afford to spend a hundred thousand dollars on, uh, on your car, you probably don't need that $5,000 rebate. But the thing is though, if they're trying to do that and they're, they're trying not to subsidize rich people, then they should have better enforcement of what these rules are, not how these giant loopholes that Tesla, Kia, and others can 
drive right through. It's a, it's a good point. Um, you know, you talked about the Scrap It program as well. It's, it's funny because I, I looked into that for uh, Tesla, but it's not available for Tesla. And I actually went and talked to the Tesla folks. And the reason why they said is because they wouldn't be able to get enough. You know, they're one of the leaders right now in, in selling EVs uh, in, in North America, and especially here in, in British Columbia. And they said they'd only be able to get, you know, you know a limited amount. And that would have just, you know, pissed off, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, a large amount of customers that wouldn't have been able to get it. Well, even me, I had, I had to phone around and find a dealership that actually had available scrap it slots as they call them. And, uh, quite often they've actually assigned the, these rebates to a specific vehicle so they can spread the, the, the amount of rebate funding that they have, they have to spread it across all of the different, um, uh, vendors so that they're not specialized or picking on one or first come first serve. Like you said, if it was available as a free for all, a lot of people would just do, use it with their tes- Tesla purchases. Like you say, it's it's definitely the most popular one for sure. But the other ones are gaining steam. And, but the government also wanted to sort of, uh, or the, the scrap it program people wanted to sort of foster the the spreading the love across all of the EV manufacturers as they're coming online. You know, and every day we see, we keep hearing more and more manufacturers launching new uh, EVs or new EV platforms even for that matter. We're going to have to take another break. When we come back, more tech to talk, and uh, we'll tell you how you can get some extra entries into our awesome contest this month, giving away an MSI Summit E13 Evo Flip laptop worth over $2,000. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected, Mike and John here. Don't forget we've got our sister show, The App Show, and that airs uh, across Canada as well, typically on Sundays. uh, If you're in Toronto, that would be Saturday nights. And we've got a great program uh, coming up on that show. We'll uh, be talking about a really cool uh, TV streaming service. If you're into history and documentaries, we've got Ted Kurtzonos on the line to tell us about a new one that you will love. And we'll talk about Zoom apps. I think most of us have probably used Zoom in one form or another to do video calls for work or even talking with family and friends over the past year during the pandemic. Well, there are apps available for it uh, that you can use while you're doing your Zoom call. You can actually play poker if you wanted to. And uh, we'll uh, be chatting about email protection and how you can use uh, DuckDuckGo to uh, make your email a little bit uh, more secure. And John, there's an extra way to get more entries into our contest um, this this month, giving away an MSI uh, E13 Evo Flip. It's worth over $2,000. How can they get more entries, John? Yeah, there's a new uh, um, challenge within the contest page, so make sure you go sign up if you're not already signed up, and you'll get entries. Just follow the, the instructions on the contest page once you've logged in, if you're not logged in. And the new one is to help us pick uh, a thumbnail style for our YouTube videos. You basically just pick your favorites, and that'll let us know what the, what the public actually wants us to use. And great point there, John. We have a great YouTube channel, the, the Get Connected Media YouTube channel. You can search for that. And we are constantly putting out new videos every week, everything from how-to tips uh, to the latest product reviews. It's a great channel, and we would love for you to subscribe and, and, and also hit that little notification button to get notified when we've got new ones coming out. I want to thank everyone that helps put the show together. We'll see you again next week.